Today, as we begin our journey with Jesus to the cross, Ash Wednesday begins this Lenten season. It provides us an opportunity to consider what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus' call to follow him doesn't come without conditions. Expectations are placed upon us, and we must take those considerations, we must consider those, take those considerations um, as we begin our walk with Jesus, and we must revisit them as we continue our walk with him. And what we have to consider and remember is that Jesus Christ, when he calls us to follow him, he doesn't tell us where he is going. He only expects us to respond and to obey. Now, as Jesus calls you to walk with him, he's asking you to leave your world behind and to walk with him. Right? Even as the disciples left their nets and went to follow Jesus. He's inviting you to give away your idea of what you imagine will give you confidence and what you think will mean for you a blessed life. Jesus isn't content to let you keep on thinking that by following him, that you can get him to take you where you want to go. He is calling you to leave your nets, to walk away from your tax booth, to sell all that you have, and to come and to see. As we look at Psalm 120 this morning, it's the first psalm in a collection of songs, or psalms, in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, called the Songs of Ascent. And you find those in Psalms 120 through 134. This ancient songbook contains the psalms that were sung by pilgrims who uh, traveled from their homes in Israel to Jerusalem to worship in the temple at the great Jewish festivals. And being the first song in a collection of songs about pilgrimage, Psalm 120 is a starting out song. It's a song of beginnings. It's a song about what makes somebody want to leave what is familiar and comfortable and to follow the Lord to go and be where he is. And as we start out on our walk, towards Easter, I'd like for us to look at Psalm 120 and four things that I think can help us as we begin this pilgrimage towards Easter. The first thing that we need to know is we need to know what kind of journey we're on. The second thing we need is why a person would go on such a journey. What sort of journey are you on? Why a person would go on such a journey? What you need on that journey? And then how do you begin? Um, before I read the psalm, could I just pray for us? Uh, Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom, the broom tree. 
Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is God's word. Now, firstly, you need to know what sort of journey that you're on. Um, The sort of journey you're on is a pilgrimage. There are several kinds of journeys that we take. Knowing what sort of journey that you're on makes all the difference about how it is that you'll enter into it and endure it and persist through what is difficult. Take, for example, of the kinds of journeys that there are, take, for example, uh, the the characters, two of the characters in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. In The Hobbit, you have the memoir of Bilbo Baggins, who lives, in a comf- who lives a comfortable, uneventful life in a tucked-away place, a beautiful place called the Shire, in his hobbit hole. And in his memoir, right, he's titled it There and Back Again. And in that book, There and Back Again, Bilbo writes about his adventure with the dwarves to the Lonely Mountain. And There and Back Again describes nicely the kind of journey he has been on. Uh, a trip or a vacation or an adventure is the sort of journey that a there and back again story is. One takes one of those journeys because they're looking for a diversion. They're looking for an escape. Uh, They want to break out of the mundane and go see something or experience something new. And though the trip can broaden someone's experience and outlook, it does so in such a way that when they return, they're able to re-enter life where they left off. They, they've got these great experiences and these memories, but they're, re, they're ready to re-engage. For Frodo, who was Bilbo's nephew in The Lord of the Rings, his experience is entirely different. Because Frodo is set on a quest. The quest is to destroy the ring and to save Middle-earth. And a quest, this quest, was something that came to him. He wasn't looking for it. And in fact, if he had a choice, he would have rather somebody else take the quest for him. He would give it away if he could. But that's the thing about a quest. It comes to you. In a quest, right, you can't buy traveler's insurance to help kind of cover any unexpected things that don't work out as you had planned. You can't reschedule a quest for a more convenient time. And in his journey, Frodo experiences a lot of adventures. But passing through the entirety of his quest, it actually changes him so much that it makes him unfit to return to the life that he had before. He becomes an alien to his former way of life and to what he had always considered up to that point, his home. This is the nature of the journey that we are taking. The journey of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage has a destination, and coming to that destination does not allow you to return to the way things were and the way you were. Over the course of their lives, the disciples traveled probably many times to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem to celebrate the great Jewish festivals, and each time they returned from those from those pilgrimages, they returned back to their fishing. They returned to politicking. They returned to tax collecting. However, 
One Passover pilgrimage to Jerusalem left them so significantly changed that they were never the same. And they could not go back to their former way of life. They began their three years walking with Jesus the same way that we began, by following him. The question for us is, are we ready to follow him where he goes? Now secondly, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of journey that we are on. Secondly, to set out on pilgrimage, you have to know what moves a person to leave what's comfortable, right? To go on a pilgrimage. A journey that transforms you, that makes you unfit for the life that you've lived up to that point, most often begins with trouble and dissatisfaction and disgust with the way things are, right? Just plain being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And in Psalm 120, we read that the psalmist begins with, in my distress. The Hebrew word that's translated there, distress, describes the trap that one finds themselves when they're caught between a rock and a hard place. To be in distress is to be forced to pass through the straits between danger and doom, despair and dissatisfaction. And the psalmist begins with distress. And note where he ends. What's the last word in the psalm? War. At some point, hopefully, at some point, the person who is caught between distress and war, the person who realizes that they are in some sense choosing to live in the midst of distress and war, comes to their senses and says, I have got to get out of here. A person in such circumstances says to themselves, choosing to live in the midst of lies and violence is my problem. I've grown too accustomed to workarounds, to making accommodations, to suboptimal living, to overfunctioning. This continuing to choose to live this way is a part of my pathological problem. It's a problem that I have cultivated and continue to cultivate in a dysfunctional life. I'm choosing to be shaped by self-destroying habits and practices, and the chaos that I am living in and the sin that I have accommodated have become ordinary it has to stop. And what does the pilgrim do? Like the prodigal son who is holding the pig slop and looking at the pig trough and thinking, I could eat that, comes to his senses and he remembers his father's house. And what does he do? He says, I will arise and go. So the pilgrim, right, their decision to go on pilgrimage begins with a cry for deliverance. But what does the pilgrim seek, right? What, what is it that they need? There are two things, I think, that are pointed to in Psalm 120. The pilgrim needs, firstly, what it is that they have lived too long without, right? What is it that would give the pilgrim a sure footing and restore them and give them confidence in the world through which they are passing? The answer is in verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. The answer is truth. An awareness that things are wrong 
surely moves somebody to ask for help. But where do you find the answer that helps you in the midst of your distress? To what can you look to or depend upon to know that you will be given stability and a firm footing? What that is is that you have to know the truth. Right? It is the quest for truth and a willingness to face it and to call out the lies that marks the journey of a pilgrim. The world is full of lies. Our culture is pickled in them. The world tells us lies about what marks a blessed life, about those things about which I should feel ashamed or what I need to turn from. The world tells us these sorts of things. It, it heaps contempt upon us. Right? What path, then, we ask, would lead me to a life of wholeness? What choices will lead to my deliverance and joyful freedom? The world says, by doing whatever you want. Is that what's going to lead? That's not the truth. Right? And not only are there lies that are out there trying to get in here, there are lies and deceit that are already here. So that my own, in my own heart, I use my own reason and my own imagination to concoct all sorts of ways that I can live by not trusting in God, by not walking in faith. I use my mind to rationalize and excuse my bad habits and my character flaws and my sinful choices. And in setting out to know the truth, right, you need to know and you need to face the lies that the world tells you and that you tell yourself you need the truth and a part of having the truth is living in the truth and that's the second little piece there of what you need you need to live in reality living in reality means knowing where you are and admitting it woe to me the psalmist says in verses five through six that i sojourn in meshek that I dwell among the tents of Kedar, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Meshach and Kedar are real places which embody for the psalmist in their imagination um, the, the troubling reality of where it is that the psalmist finds himself. Meshach is the land of northeastern Turkey. It's beyond the Caucasus Mountains in between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Right, it's the border fringe land of the known world. And Kedar is the desert region of the Arabian Peninsula where warlike Bedouin nomads roamed. Right, these places are the barbarian and lawless fringes of the known world. And living in reality means that you don't live in a hospitable Eden. Instead, Admitting, I live in a barbaric wilderness in a trackless desert. And the question for you, is this where you really want to stay? Are you content to make survival in this kind of world and in this kind of chaotic life, your life, or chaotic world, your life's work? The psalmist is saying, wake up. See where you are. Don't settle for the lie 
Don't settle for an alienated life living among those who are content to live as if this world is all that there is and what you can amass in this world is all that's worth having. And so the psalmist, he comes to admit the truth about reality, that he lives in a world and among people who continue to deceive, lie, and make war. And what will continuing to live in that world produce? What will be the end of the kingdom of this world? The psalmist says justice and judgment. War will be made on those who make war. Arrows and fiery coals will fall and be poured upon those and upon the heads of those who make and conspire war. But again, all of that, that's out there. What if all of that is inside me? If I am the problem, I can't heal myself. I need the Lord's healing. I need his piercing, right? And the piercing that will heal. I need his fire to purge the dross of my heart. I need a judgment. I need a judgment that will silence the accusations, but leave me vindicated. That's where we get to the end of our journey. But how does the pilgrim begin? How do, you, how do you start out today in this walk towards Easter? Well, really, you start out as you do every season, every month, every week, every day, every moment. You start out by calling out. You call out to the Lord. In calling out, we confess that we've accommodated the distressing life too long. It's repentance. Too long have we habituated a life that hates peace. Instead, we stand up and we set out to follow Jesus because he will go places for us that we will not have to go. He walked perfectly so for us so that by faith and in following him, we might come to a place of peace. Jesus climbed Mount Calvary so that we could ascend Mount Zion. Jesus was pierced for us. Jesus bore judgment for us. We are a people who set out bearing the cross of Christ and boasting in the cross of Christ and glorying in the cross of Christ, even as we are going to be marked by its sign. We admit the truth that we are mortal. We are dust. And the reality that this world will pass away. We admit the truth of that and the reality of that. And we follow him to be delivered as we walk before a watching world so that we might bear the knowledge of him and of his peace into the world. Amen.